The title of today's sermon is Identifying and Demolishing Carnality. We've been going through a sermon series entitled Outlining Wickedness, which has been a look at my recently published book, Wicked, and allowing us to examine some of the details. Now, last week, we entered into chapter one of the book, which was a two-part chapter, and we talked about the importance of the biblical narrative, that everything we do, anytime we begin to examine the Bible and seek to lean upon the Lord's wisdom rather than our own, we need to understand the details, the context, and the storyline of the biblical narrative. And last week, we had a grow and go, and I found it very exciting that I had the opportunity to speak at the Niagara Preterist Conference, and everything that I presented had all, all the details are about the biblical narrative. So I was able to outline the biblical narrative to do our grow and go, which is our vision of our church, that anything we do here, we grow here in the, in the body of Christ at church, whether it's a Sunday, a Wednesday, a Thursday at Bible study, a Saturday morning, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, wherever we do that, we grow, we have the responsibility to go. Whatever we do here, we must be doing out there to bring forth the healing of the nations. So I was excited to be able to do that at the Niagara Preterist Conference to walk worthy of our grow and go last week, which was to encourage somebody with the biblical narrative. Today we're going to have a little bit different of a grow and go, but I believe it will be very apparent as we go through the message what we need to go with. When you look at all the apparent wickedness in the world, who or what do you blame? You know, there's a lot of people that blame a lot of different things. It would make sense that if we desire to remove wickedness that pervades our culture, we must appropriately identify it, correct? In Wicked, I make the point that mankind leaning upon their own misunderstanding has led to more destructive perspectives and destruction itself than we truly care to take note of. Consider the ancient Near Eastern cultures and their false gods and the idolatry that pervaded those cultures, mankind leaning upon their own wisdom and reaping destruction because of it. Then you move into the first century, and you see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these scattered sects of Judaism that failed to walk worthy of the hope that they had been given. That if they manifested the statutes and the laws of God, they would be blessed. They would have life itself. Instead, they leaned upon their own understanding and had curses and reaped death. We see that destruction being highlighted with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Then you look at the church throughout the centuries. You look at all the confusion and the chaos that happens within church history, the schisms that began. And you see chaos there, more destruction happening. The community that was empowered to conquer the gates of Hades has seemingly swung the door wide open and allowed hell, chaos, the enemy, the adversary, in. And then you look at the church today, and you wonder, are we reaping destruction because of the destructive perspectives that have crept into the church? Are we walking worthy of proving all things, holding fast to that which is good, that which is true, that which is edifying, the things we're called to focus our eyes on, according to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? Or... Are we focused on the evil things, the wicked things, bringing them into the church? So what are some destructive perspectives that you can think of? One I want to highlight this morning would be a destructive perspective about many people that do not come to church. They'll say things such as, oh, I can't go to church because if I go, I'll burn. I had talked to somebody earlier this week 
that said that to me. They said, you know, for the longest time I thought I had to get right with God before I plugged into the community, the body of Christ. How destructive is that? If this is the place that we're finding that healing and that growth, and we know you cannot do it out there, how destructive does it become if we become a people that say the only way you can come in here is if you get it right? And then we, be, we, we end up thinking we have this self-righteousness where we think we have it right. And then we treat the world as if we have it right, they have it wrong, and we become self-righteous and the church moves further and further away from coming to the church, coming to the body of Christ to do exactly what we're called to do, to influence them with grace, humility, and knowledge. Consider that destructive perspective. Think of the destructive perspectives people might have in regards to God, in regards to the church, in regards to what life is about. Where are some areas in life or history that you have seen destruction occur because of people leaning upon their own misunderstandings rather than gaining an understanding of truth? I've already mentioned Genesis chapter 1 and the ancient Near Eastern culture. I've already mentioned the ancient Near Eastern culture. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 in that culture. Well, let's consider. Genesis chapter 1, as I've already highlighted for many of you, I I believe I spoke a little bit about that last week, is that Genesis chapter 1 is a polemic against idolatrous cultures. The cultures that surrounded the early proto-Hebrews or the, you know, Adam's culture, Israel later on. The truth of Adam was manifested through Israel. It was their creation story. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture, your creation story spoke about your God or your gods. We see in the ancient culture that they had a low view of man. Man was simply the spit of Marduk as he battled another god. And then he was, man was, the, was just spit and dust put together to serve the gods by way of creation. That if mankind served the creation, they would be blessed by the gods. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 specifically, is going against that. It's setting man up as the image of God, not the idols, the trees, and the animals. No, man would represent God. Man was seen as the pinnacle of God's creation, that which would have dominion over the creation, put all things in subjection to himself as he represented God in the world. You see, the Hebrew people had an entire different perspective of the value of mankind. Think about that this morning. Has a low view of mankind crept into our culture and affected how we view life and the value of life? I know I'm speaking to some this morning. Instead of having an authentic spirituality that is true and elevated, a true and elevated understanding of our existence, our reason for existence, and how to maximize our existence, we're going to deal with that one here in a moment, we suffer a depraved reality. In the book Wicked, I go on to say, the spirit of the world is more natural to us than spirituality which is from above. And we'll be talking more about that type of spirituality, what the true essence of spirituality is in weeks to come. But let's talk about those three things here for a moment. I want to highlight three things. Understanding of our existence, why we exist. Hopefully everybody in this room knows that we exist to glorify God. But then the next question is, our reason, well, our reason for existing, understanding of our existence is how, how would we gain that understanding? Through, through God's word. We would look to God to gain our understanding, not lean upon our own understanding or develop understandings of our own. And then our reason for existence is to glorify God. But then the next question is, in our, in our glorifying God, how do we maximize our existence? And you have many different false interpretations of how we maximize our existence. I have many friends outside the church that they have their worldly ways of maximizing their existence, much like the first century 
Gentiles. Then you have the church, which is more like the, the Pharisees and the, the uh, religious elite, that they believe you must punish yourself, suffer, and uh, deprive yourself of things to maximize your existence so that you would feel self-righteous over the world. I like what John Piper had to say, and I'm going to borrow his quote, where he said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. The key, the church, that we need to be teaching, the key to this is we need to teach people how to be satisfied in Christ. It's not by moving away from worldly pleasures. It's by having moderation. It's by maximizing the potential of what we were created to do, knowing more about our God and doing the things that please him, focusing on the things that please him. That's our job. But let's face it, it seems as if everything in us is set against that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. This is a Bible church, so we're going to start turning in the word here this morning. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I'm going to start back at verse 5. It says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Let's take that to heart this morning. Cursed is the man that trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Makes carnality. We're going to identify flesh as carnality this morning. The mindset on things of man. When man makes flesh his strength and trusts in man, he is cursed. And his heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 6. For he will be like the bush in the desert and will not see prosperity come. But will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Again, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Not the man that says he trusts in the Lord, but the man who says he trusts in the Lord and does indeed trust in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Verse 11, as a partridge that hatches eggs, which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days, it will forsake him, and in the end, he will be a fool. Verse 12 into 13, a glorious throne from on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary, not trusting in the flesh of the man. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Wow. John 10, 10, we're not going to turn there. I'm just going to recite the verse because many of you know it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is illustrating there that the thief, the heart, the mind that is set on the flesh comes to steal, kill, and destroy God's best for us because it does not teach us to be satisfied in Christ. It does not teach us to glorify God. It teaches us to focus on ourselves. Romans chapter 8, another text. Romans 8, starting at verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh 
cannot please God. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. You see, without Christ, without focusing our eyes on Jesus, without knowing Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, we cannot please God. We cannot set our mind on the things of God because the mind is naturally predisposed against us. The carnal mind is hostile toward God. So we need Jesus. We need to set our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. That is the only way to please God. That is the only way for us to move away from leaning upon our own understandings as developed and intriguing as we think they are. It's to set our eyes on Jesus the manifestation of the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. And when the church does that, that's how we make known the manifold wisdom of God, by setting our eyes on Jesus, knowing him as he who brought life to the full. Carnality defined is leaning upon our own misunderstandings, cultivating our misunderstandings. You might say subverting truth and propagating lies. I have to say one of the most frustrating things about carnality is that in my carnality, I don't simply think it's enough for me to lean upon my own understanding, I go about teaching other people to do so as well. You see this throughout all of ancient cultures. Not only did they believe in their false gods, they shared their false gods with other nations, instigated other nations to worship their gods. We look at the Pharisees in the first century. Not only did they create commandments that invalidated the word of God for them and made them twice as much the sons of hell, They passed it on and made others twice as much the sons of hell than they were. Two aspects of carnality that I focus on in Wicked that I want to highlight this morning are revisionism and relativism. Revisionism, which revise is the root word, and it means to reconsider or alter. You know anybody that reconsiders or alters the truth of God? I would say many people within the church today, many teachers, false teachers within the church are guilty of that today. However, many of my friends outside of the church are guilty of that very much. They alter the knowledge of God. You see this right in the beginning of the garden, right, Eve, instead of just taking the pure and simple teachings. And again, there's a big debate. Was it Adam that had heard from God and changed the truth as he passed it on to Eve? Or was it Eve who had heard the truth from Adam and then changed it? And unfortunately, what that led to was her being susceptible to listening to the serpent, you know, when we alter the word of God, that's why scripture is very adamant about not taking away or adding to the, to the word of God. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We see that in Revelation chapter 22. Do not take away, do not add to the word of God. Because in doing so, you fall into idolatry. Israel did it. It was highlighted through Israel. It's highlighted in our lives. It was highlighted through Eve. Eve then, first, God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent tells Eve that she can eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she says, God told us not to eat or touch. God never said anything about touching the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She added to the word and made herself much more susceptible to falling to the lies and deceit of the serpent. Do you know anybody that's guilty of altering or reconsidering the truth? We live in a culture that is hell-bent on doing that. Changing history, changing the truth, changing meanings of words, changing the meanings of different things, changing the reasons for life. Going back to those three things I highlighted earlier. Do you know anybody that's revising or altering an understanding of our existence, the reason for our existence, 
and how to maximize our existence? I know bunches of people. Do you know anybody that's doing that? Challenge yourself this morning. Begin to think about those people. Begin to pray for them this morning. Because those are going to be the people we need to grow and go to. How about relativism? Another one. Relativism is uh, when something is relative, it's dependent upon something else. Unfortunately, many today would assert that truth is subjective. It's dependent upon my preference. You know, my truth. I think of the word spiritual. How often I hear people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And I say, that is a relative understanding of spirituality. That is not the teaching of spirituality that we get from Scripture or from leaning upon the knowledge of God. That is something mankind has made up, that dualistic, seemingly Hellenistic, more in line with the uh, efforts of Alexander the Great in the 4th fourth century B.C. When you hear people talk about a dualistic spirituality and otherworldly spirituality in contrast to an elevated understanding that was being provided by God to the Hebrew people. You know how frustrating it becomes to see this relativist mentality take over our culture? where everything is based upon personal preference. Man leaning upon the flesh. You see, the Bible demonstrates the war of worldviews. A worldview is the way you would sum up those things I mentioned earlier. Understanding of our existence, the reason for our existence, and how to maximize our existence. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, they had this low view of man. Genesis serves as a polemic against that culture. John the Baptist comes into a culture that had a relativist view of who the children of Abraham were. You had the Pharisees that believed that the children of Abraham would be manifest through flesh. And you had different crowds within that. You know, you had the different segments in that first century. All of them had different understandings of how the children of Abraham, who the children of Abraham were, and how they would receive the hope of Israel. John the Baptist comes telling them that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. That he says, you say you're the children of Abraham. You are not the children of Abraham. God could raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. Showing that it was not a flesh and blood thing that they had identified it as. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, where flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They had a more subjective, personal preference of what they thought that reality would be. They relativized it, made it a personal preference. You see, the entire story of Scripture is aimed at giving us the proper worldview in contrast to the various ill-fated narratives that we are often offered, as well as those we make up. Because let's face it, it's easy to make up a lot of stuff, to run with our own understanding, to lean upon our own wisdom, to develop our own understandings of things, our own responses, our own reasons, our own ways. I had the privilege to share bits and pieces of my testimony this past week at that preterist conference in Niagara Falls. And uh, one of the things I had mentioned was about my life being formless and void prior to Christ. I know Mr. Ed Stevens enjoyed that reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And... uh, Formless and void, again, that, that Hebrew phrase there, tohu wa bohu, means to be without form and void, without function or purpose. Just as that, the planet in that ancient Near Eastern culture, they were wandering around in idolatry, that was me and my sin. That was me leaning upon my own understanding. I shared in the book Wicked, I said, coming to wit's end with carnality in my life and being, frust- being rather frustrated with the ways of thinking, my thinking about life, I made a conscious decision while I was in prison to begin reading about history, religion, sociology, political science, and more. Trying to get out of thinking on my, leaning upon my own understanding. Trying to develop a better understanding and higher understanding. Again, you'll see in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about spirituality. And that is exactly what spirituality is. Having an elevated understanding. An understanding that does not come from within. You see, that understanding also has to come by knowledge. 
And again, we're talking about a spiritual knowledge here. We're going to see in Scripture this morning that that spiritual knowledge only comes by way of God's Spirit. It's only a gift from Him. It's the only way it'll ever be received by us. The only way that we can become a people that set our eyes on Jesus is by God giving us the grace and the knowledge by way of His Spirit. We cannot seek it on our own. We could seek after we have the Spirit. We cannot seek the Spirit on our own. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? No one except for the Lord. So another thing that the scriptures seem to highlight is a zeal without knowledge. We see in Romans chapter 10 that the Pharisees in the first century, most specifically the religious leaders in the first century, had a zeal for God, but a zeal not based on the true knowledge of God. Instead, they wandered and they sought their own understandings and supplanted the truth with their own understandings. We need to move away from that. We need to be a people that have a zeal empowered by knowledge. We need to be a people that have purpose and distinction rather than being formless and void. We are a people that have a zeal empowered by knowledge rather than a people who have a zeal for God without knowledge. I have the opportunity to participate um, and know about and participate in an organization called CODA. It's a movement that's happening all over the United States. Council on Thought and Action, teaching people to think and act in accordance with truth. As a Christian, you would imagine that type of thing blesses me and excites me to be a part of that, getting people thinking and acting. Because that's what Jesus came to do, amen? So two of the things that are identified in that movement is that there are false narratives that are being taught. You know, we, we deal with the youth, especially lately in Brentwood, been dealing with the youth, and you'd be surprised the false narratives that are being told to our youth. You were created by accident. You don't deserve to live. You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve freedom. You don't deserve love. You don't deserve grace. Think about the things that families are teaching their children or what our culture is teaching their children. The false narratives that lead to destruction continually. This is why God has breathed his glorious story into our culture. To get us to move away from leaning upon false narratives and our own understandings that the mind will continually make up because it's hostile toward God's truth. The next thing we begin to do is as we talk about those narratives, we we seek the source Where are these narratives coming from? Coming from man leaning upon his own understanding. The imposter. The adversary of man. That carnal mind. And unfortunately it plays false tapes. I'll get a bit personal with you this morning. One of my uh, false tapes that I play as I went through this uh, movement and I kind of examined myself in line with the things we're teaching. I realized the false tape I play in my life is, uh, is what it is. When I get frustrated. I've been playing this tape since I was a little kid. I get frustrated with situations and with people and, you know, everything that's going on in the world. I begin to say it is what it is. I don't have to do nothing. It'll never change. I'm stuck. Whatever will happen, will happen. And then when I begin to really examine that and I look at that, I say, no, that's a cop-out. Because everything, anytime that I've seen God empower my life, when I've moved away from that thief stealing, killing, and destroying what God's best is for me, it's because I've said things are going to be what I make them. Not it is what it is. So I've had to identify that false tape. And I've had to move away from that, kill that imposter, move away from that false narrative and seek truth. Be empowered by the truth and grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're teaching our culture. So in summary, I believe I've demonstrated a case for carnality being the very stronghold that is set up against the knowledge of God. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that this is the very battle This manifested carnality, mankind leading upon their own understanding, which leads to death and destruction, this is the battle that the church of God must fight and demolish. 
That's our call. We see in the Old Covenant, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8, we read this. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Israel did not identify that. It's time the church does. It's time the church sees that God has given us a magnificent truth so that people would look to the church and they would glorify God for the truth that he has given us. That we would walk worthy of everything that old covenant fleshly Israel was called to be, but they couldn't because they were doing it by leaning upon the flesh of man. In John chapter 14, verse 6, a text I alluded to earlier, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can get to the Father except through me. We do not have the opportunity to revise or to relativize that truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to the Father but through me. It's because by setting our eyes on Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, we move away from that carnal mind. We have a standard set up for us to focus on. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 speaks about the renewing of the mind. That's what we must undergo. By the transforming, by the renewing of your mind, we can move away from leaning upon carnality. Instead, seek truth and true knowledge of God. And I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the text that will prove to us that this knowledge comes only by way of the Spirit. I'm going to start at verse 9. As it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. You see, it's the Spirit that does this. For who among, know us, who among us knows the mind of man except for man? Even so, thoughts of God no one knows except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received, the church at Corinth and the church, the body, you know, the body of Christ, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, so that we may know the, first, we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we, the church, have the mind of Christ. You know, the church hasn't necessarily walked consistent in this regard. So what we need to do as we come to a close this morning is we need to highlight the value of audience relevance, of not interpreting the scriptures in accordance with our own mind because then all we're doing is subverting the truth. We're taking the truth and then subverting it by leaning upon our own understanding as we were supposed to be moving away from as we sought the truth in the first place. So... We must value audience relevance, which again is seeking the original intention of these inspired writers. What did they mean to convey to their original audience? How would it have been received? And how are we to build on top of that? And the second thing that we could be doing is becoming an ever-reforming institution. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 speaks about proving all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from that which is evil. What that means is that many times we need to be challenging certain teachings to make sure that they are truly the knowledge of God. That they're not the mind of man or tradition that man has made up and stood upon as we subvert the truth and propagate lies. These are things we need to be sure of. So I ask you this morning, in accordance with our grow and go, our vision here, who do you know? 
Who do you know that has relativized or revised the truth of God? Who needs to hear this? Who needs to move away from leaning upon the flesh, leaning upon mankind, and moving into leaning upon the true knowledge of God? Are you equipped? Are you able to do this? Think of those people. Write their names down on your paper. Make it an opportunity this week to go and tell somebody, maybe uh, destroy some of those destructive perspectives. Maybe find somebody that says, uh, you know, you could worship any God you want and tell them why we cannot. Maybe find somebody that says, I don't go to church because I'll burn and tell them that that's not how this works. Give them a better perspective. Give them the wholesome perspective we're called to do. Maybe you have a friend that believes that the way they maximize life is by getting new cars, new girls, and all these different things that this world offers. Tell them that's not how we maximize our our existence. Borrow that quote from John Piper. God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. That is our existence. And the only way to find true satisfaction in life is by setting your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. By learning his teachings, by establishing your life upon his foundation and growing in that regard. And from the depths of my being, I want to tell you that's where you will find satisfaction. Once we identify and demolish carnality, man leaning upon his own understanding and move closer to being, moving people, not just closer, but moving people to be in Jesus Christ, that's where satisfaction in life is found. Jesus also said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though he's dead, he shall live. Though we look at a world that needs healing and is dead, they shall live and they shall be healed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you've moved us from being a people leaning upon our own misunderstandings, Lord, to instead being a people that have set our eyes on you. Allow that to increase, Lord. Provide the increase as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Allow us to go through the experiences we will, gaining a perspective that is wholesome, Lord, of you and your truth. Allow us to develop a healthy understanding of the biblical narrative so that we would understand your truth all the more, Lord, and be able to grow and go in that truth. And Lord, I ask this morning that you challenge us, Lord, that you send us forth as a missional church, Lord, that will move forth into the mission to demolish the strongholds that are set up against the knowledge of you. And that we would lead people to submit to your truth, Lord, as true ambassadors of your kingdom. Thank you for moving us away from the lies, deception of subverted truth, Lord. Allow us to cleave to your truth and to embrace it and to empower the world with it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.